Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 51 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. I'm super excited for this episode with Alan Stein Jr. Alan grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where he graduated from Watkins Mill High School in 1994. He earned a basketball scholarship to Elon University, where he majored in sports management while also taking classes in business and physiology. Alan is a keynote speaker and author who spent over 12 years as a performance coach working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet. He now teaches audiences how to utilize the same strategies in business that elite athletes use to perform at a world-class level. Alan specializes in improving individual and organizational leadership, performance, and accountability. You will definitely want to check out the show notes for this episode. You can find them at quigglegroup.com forward slash zero five one. That's quiggle, Q-U-I-G-G-L-E, group.com forward slash zero five one. Also, please rate, review, share, and subscribe to this leadership podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and also gets the message out to more listeners around the world. To rate, review, share, and subscribe, please visit quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. With that, here's today's show. I can't wait for you to hear from Alan Stein Jr. Enjoy. I mean, ultimately, and I've always believed this, our attention in the present moment is the number one gift we have to give another human being. Because, you know, we don't know when our time is going to run out. So our time is our most valuable resource without question. And if we whittle that down even further, that means if time is our most valuable resource, our attention in the present moment is the number one gift we have to give another human being. Imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, and then getting to choose from that group. That's what this leadership podcast is all about. Learning from the best, how to be your best so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and changing communities. I'm so glad you've chosen to be part of this Leadership Podcast community, where together we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Alan, I am so happy to have you on my podcast today. Thank you for being on the show. So let's get started. Can you first let my listeners know a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today? Uh, Most certainly, I guess kind of in reverse chronological order. I'm a very amicably divorced, proud father of three. Uh, I live right outside of Washington, D.C., which is where I was born and raised and have been incredibly thankful to spend my entire adult life um, doing things that I'm incredibly passionate about. And for almost 20 years, that was as a basketball performance coach in the the youth and elite basketball space. And then the last three years uh, have been more in the corporate speaking market and uh, still drawing on and and using the lessons that I learned through the game of basketball. But I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, no, and I I appreciate it because I think the journey is so important to understand where people came from. I remember when I started my first business, I had a vending machine company and we got one account and I was so happy because whenever I'd go out and try to sell it, they would say, can you give me a reference? And when I had my one account, I was like, I have a reference. I'm like, what do you need a reference? And I'd give one, you know, and then finally I got two and I was like, what do you need a couple of references? But you know, you had to earn that respect. So you're a relatively young guy early on. How did you get people to trust your advice? You know, become an expert in your field. Well, I think if I go all the way back to the beginning, you know, basketball was my first identifiable passion. And and I vividly remember falling in love with the game at at four or five years old when my parents signed me up for a a low level recreation team. And here four decades later, basketball is still a a major foundational pillar in my life. And, you know, I, I learned very early uh, that in order to be truly happy and and significant and successful and fulfilled, that you need to find what it is that you love, find what it is that you're good at, and then find where those two things intersect. And and that point of intersection is what I call your strength zone. And I think that's where you have the best chance of being the best version of yourself and doing your best work. And I knew at a very early age uh, that basketball was going to be a part of that. Uh, now, of course, when I was really young, you know, I had these dreams of grandeur that I was going to be an NBA player. And, you know, as I got older and into middle school and high school and realized that was more than likely not the case, uh, I was able to shift my sights and say, well, I still want to be heavily involved in the game of basketball. And I started to develop an equal affinity uh, for performance training and strength and conditioning and basketball specific fitness and athleticism. Uh, so it just made natural sense to me to when I graduated college to 
you know, be a basketball performance coach and combine my love of training, my love of the game. And, and I've always had kind of a natural acumen uh, for motivating others, inspiring others, teaching. Uh, both of my parents were elementary educators for 30 years. So I think that that seed was implanted in me very early. Uh, so to combine all of those things and to teach movement skills and how to improve athleticism to youth basketball players was just the dream job for me. And it definitely fell right at that point of intersection. And I'm just thankful that I was able to uh, have the awareness to realize that early on and didn't have to try a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't like first. That's really all I've done since inception. And now uh, decided that I wanted to take on a new challenge and kind of up level that mindset uh, and do that in the corporate world. So yeah, I, I'm just so thankful that my journey has allowed me to do what I love to do uh, on a very, very consistent basis. So I want, I want my listeners to hear that for a second, because what he said specifically in the beginning was he fell in love with it. And because that it's still a pillar in his life. And so parents, listen, to this, listen to your kids, <laughs> you know, I mean, listen to, to, to what they enjoy, uh, fi- help them find their passion, master it. And I'm convinced there will be enough crazy people on this planet to pay them to be the master. And it sounds like that's what you've done, Alan, it, you know, even though you didn't get to play in the NBA, now you're with the top NBA players and helping them and, and, and teaching them and, and, and inspiring them. And I, I just think that there's so much value in that from a life perspective. Um, you know, it's interesting. You have a long history as that strength and conditioning coach at all levels, from like you said, kids to the highest echelons of the NBA. What leadership lessons did you learn specifically along the way? Like, what were some of the top ones that have really impacted you? Well, man, and, and there is a long list of those. And and what's neat is that I've I've learned them. You know, one of the things that makes my journey, I believe, very unique and distinct was uh, I was able to work uh, as the performance coach at two nationally renowned high schools here in the D.C. area. Uh, one of which was Montrose Christian, which is where Kevin Durant graduated from. Uh, and the other was DeMatha Catholic High School, which has had a whole slew of NBA players, uh, most recently Victor Oladipo. Um, and so I got to see and work with a bunch of really, really talented players when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. So this was before they made it big. And I got to see the the look behind the curtain of the before picture. And then that ended up leading to some work with uh, Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball, where I got to observe and sit alongside the best players in the world, the Kobe's and the LeBron's and the Steve Nash's. And I got to see kind of a peek behind the curtain of the after picture, you know, what it takes to continue to maintain and level up greatness. So I've been able to see it from both perspectives, the before and the after. And there are definitely a handful uh, of foundational uh, mindsets and and beliefs and principles uh, that unite them both. Um, One of the biggest ones, which not only applies to leadership, but applies to every area of our life, is to never get bored with the basics. That, that the basics and mastering the fundamentals of whatever it is, the fundamentals of leadership, uh, the fundamentals of the game, the, the fundamentals of, of parenting, whatever it may be, that you can't ever leave the fundamentals, that you have to continually work to master those, and that that will be your foundation to which the rest of the house is built. Eventually, yeah, you'll level up and you'll do more advanced things and try more advanced techniques, but you can't ever leave the basics. And uh, I found in my own life, uh, that anytime things aren't going the way that I would like for them to go, or I'm not getting the result that I believe I should be getting uh, with some awareness and and certainly some humility, I can usually look back and realize I've been glossing over the basics and I've been mailing them in and I got to get back to them. That's, that's the number one pillar. You know, it, it, I remember when I was reading your book, it talks about this big break in the spring of 2003 when you, it said after repeated attempts to reach Montrose basketball coach Stu Vetter, you you finally got a hold of his assistant Dave Adkins. My favorite part of that was the repeated <laughs> the repeated attempts. You didn't give up. I'm sure at the beginning nothing happens easy in life for anybody, whether you're in sports or business, but you stayed after it. And and I think that that matters. Um, is it that commitment? That commitment that you see is that is that one of the pillars oh, uh, that helps certainly. people be the uh, best th- that they can be? Without question. And what you just described there. Uh, is grit. And I know that grit's a buzzword and it may be a little bit overhyped, you know, ever since Angela Duckworth's brilliant book by the same title, Grit, came out. You know, it's something that, that people love talking about, but there's a reason for that. It's, it's because it's true. And it is. It's your, your stick-to-itiveness, your perseverance, um, yeah, your full commitment. And yes, absolutely. And, and I, I firmly believe that grit and perseverance and stick-to-itiveness becomes, uh, there's less friction 
when you really love what you're doing and when you, you really crave what you're going after. So, uh, that's, you know, it, it was just, it was easier for me to stick to pursuing the Montrose program because that's really what I wanted. And that's what I loved to do. So it, it didn't, it wasn't as painstaking as maybe folks may think that it is, but yeah, grit, uh, is absolutely uh, a foundational characteristic of the best leaders and of high performers and high achievers in any craft, whether I'm looking at the before or the after picture uh, of a player like Kevin Durant. I mean, he always had grit and he always had that, that passion and that love for his craft. So who, who mentored you along the way? I mean, you talk, you talk about Stu Vetter and, and some others, but like what in your personal life or from a, a sports perspective or a business perspective, did you have like a couple key mentors that you counted on? You know, there've been several, uh, arguably too many to name. I mean, certainly, um, my parents planted some wonderful seeds with me when I was really young, um, not just in their teachings, but just in the modeling of behavior. And as I already mentioned, you know, they were in elementary education for 30 years. Uh, so I grew up having a very strong appreciation and respect uh, for servant leadership. And I firmly believe teachers and coaches, you know, are the definition of, of altruism and servant leadership. And to have a very high respect for your craft and for the teaching and coaching profession. Um, you know, it, funny enough, when I entered college, I wasn't sure at that point that I wanted to be a basketball performance coach. I just knew that I wanted to be involved in the game. So when I entered college, I was actually – going to be a teacher and then be a, a basketball coach, you know, in and above that and on the side and realized very quickly that I, I didn't really enjoy the teaching portion near as much as I enjoyed the <laughs> basketball portion. And because my parents had taught me that, you know, you really have to have a respect for that craft that, you know, when you're working with young people, uh, that's not a position where you can, you can half it or you can, you can mail it in. You have to be all in as a teacher or a coach. And uh, because of my respect for that, that was why I quickly, uh, switched gears and changed majors. So, uh, yeah, without question, uh, that, 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 that respect for what you're doing and that self-respect is going to be vital. I, uh, I appreciate that both my in-laws were teachers and, and so I believe in servant leadership, of course, and especially teachers and coaches, but who is a good model of a servant leader for you? Oh boy. Well, and, and I know I didn't quite finish your question on, on the mentorship route. Um, you know, my parents gave me that initial seed and then there were definitely a handful of very influential people, uh, that came along after that. Uh, one of them, uh, was a, a strength and conditioning coach in the area who had worked with the Redskins and worked with some other professional teams. And he was the first one that got me to radically change my viewpoint and perspective on how to properly train athletes. Uh, then once I got into uh, the, the basketball strength coaching profession, there were several along the way that, that, you know, had a major impact on me. And then still to this day, I mean, you know, uh, Jay Billis uh, of ESPN, who was kind enough to write the forward to my book is still somebody that I not only consider a friend, but is very much a mentor. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's even realized the profound impact that he's had on my life. So, uh, you know, the, the, the list, if I were to describe a list right now, it'd be incredibly long of people that have mentored and poured into me. Uh, but I do also want to say that, you know, that, that a, a mentorship relationship doesn't always have to be, uh, with somebody that, you know, or meet with frequently. Uh, I, I believe in, and that, that I've been quote unquote mentored by numerous books and podcasts and speakers that I've seen, you know, uh, I look at the, the, the mentor mentee relationship as simply an exchange of information and perspective and, and a way, uh, to you to heighten your thinking and the way that you do things. So whether you get that from a book or you get that from a real person, it's still going to have an effect on you. And, and clearly if you can meet with someone and they can give you real time feedback and there's more back and forth, that's probably going to be more impactful than say a book. Uh, but if then, if you take the list of books I've read and podcasts I've listened to and speakers I've seen that have impacted my life, now you're talking about a really, really, really long list. Well, I, you know, in my speeches and when I talk to different groups or consult with companies, it's interesting. I talk about who's in your kitchen cabinet and who has your ear and where you're getting your information from. And I, I like the perspective that you have. You don't have, it doesn't have to be in person. So I want my listeners to really start thinking like, where are they getting their information from in general? It doesn't have to be a person, but could it be a book, a podcast, whatever it is, but make sure that you're getting the right information into, into your head and that you're able to make the right decisions based on that, on, on all that great information. So um, there's power in information and, and knowledge. 
and we should always be lifelong learners. You know, you and go, going back to that specifically to school because I, I thought this was interesting. You had that degree because you mentioned you know going into college, you had this sports management degree, but you also took classes in business and physiology. What long term vision did you have in mind when you were taking these courses? Did you did you th- I mean because now you're running a business and you know you're in sports, so I mean clearly you were able to find that early on. A lot of kids struggle with that. Um, what was going through your mind when you were taking those courses? You know, it's funny at the time, it's it's easy for me to connect the dots looking backwards now. And, and, and I would actually, uh, it wouldn't be completely truthful if I acted like all that was uh, executed brilliantly, according to a strategy that I had put together. Uh, <laughs> some of it, I just, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. You know, I knew what things I was attracted to and I knew what things uh, got me excited, what I was interested in and both business and physiology were two things I just had a very heavy interest in. So I, I took all of those as electives and, you know, uh, clearly the, the physiology matches up with my love for sport, my love for training, my love for basketball. Uh, but even though my parents both were teachers and, and still to this day are incredibly conservative, somehow, some way I got the entrepreneurial bug at a very early age and had always been attracted to business. And that was why I wanted to take those types of classes. You know, I I vividly remember, um, you know, uh, cutting people's lawns and, and shoveling driveways during the winter to make some extra money. Uh, I remember going through the baseball card craze where, you know, I would go to card shows and, you know, not just because, and I, I never really liked baseball, but they were hot at the time. And, and when I found out, you know, you can buy a Mark McGuire card for $2 and in a few months, if he does well, you could sell it for four. I just, I liked that math. And, you know, I, I remember there were lots of instances because my parents are very conservative, you know, they would say something to the effect of, you know, we're going to make sure you always have shoes. You need basketball shoes but you don't need Jordans. Like you don't have to have a $120 pair of sneakers. If the going rate for sneakers or basketball shoes is $60. Well, if you want Jordans, then you need to raise another $60 and then you can have them. And I was like, sure, I'll take that bet. So then it all became of how can I utilize my passion and my skills to make enough money to have the types of things that I wanted. And, and so I've always kind of been on that hustle and enjoyed that entrepreneurial mindset. And it just continued uh, you know, up through college. So I was fascinated by business classes and get more formal education on it. And then of course, fascinated by physiology and, you know, uh, um, teaching the entrepreneurial mindset to my own children now is something really important to me. And, And I think it's a mindset that everyone should explore. Even if you have zero desire uh, to be an entrepreneur or to start your own business, even if you want to work for somebody else. There's nothing wrong with that. But the entrepreneurial mindset in my mind is about being open to looking for problems and figuring out ways you can solve problems, uh, being open and looking for ways that you can add value to other people. You know, it, it doesn't have to be about money and it doesn't have to be about accumulating wealth. The entrepreneurial mindset is about serving and is about solving problems. And I think that's something that would be good, you know, well-suited for anyone on the planet. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right on right there. You know, if, if, and I talked about this, if profit is your main priority, it's going to be a miserable life. If you can solve a big problem, provide a great service, the the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you're going to make, the bigger the service you provide, the more money you're going to make. And so, you know, I always talk to kids about like, Hey, find a big problem to solve or, you know, provide a great service to a lot of people and great things are going to happen to you. So yeah. uh, And and what you choose to do with that profit is completely up to you. And, and, you know, there's, there's an old adage, you know, when you're talking about financial freedom, that if you do well, then you can do good. And, and basically saying, if, if you have a thriving business that serves lots of people and you make a ton of money, there's a lot of good in the world that you can do with that. You know, I do believe some people mistakenly have a connotation with money that it's always about accumulating material items or that it has to do with greed uh, or, or selling out. And that's not the case. There is nothing wrong with wanting your business to be as successful as possible so that you can make enough money to do some real good in the world. And, and it's what you choose to do with that money that I think would speak more volumes over the fact that you really want to make it. And as you right. said, the bigger the problem you solve or for the more people you solve a smaller problem, the, the more thriving your business will be. And that's, you know, I, I think that's incredibly important. So not only are you making some money, but you're doing it in service of others and you're giving them something that they not only want, but they need. And now you're making an impact, you're being influential and, and you're creating a legacy. And, and I'm a, a huge uh, proponent of all of those things. 
Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of, of, of creating more social entrepreneurs in life and, and in, in society where yeah, I think this is the biggest misconception. I meet with so many CEOs. I get to speak to so many CEOs, thousands worldwide. And, and what you find the most is when they when their eyes light up, it's when they're telling you all the good they're doing for their employees yes. or, or the impact they're making in their communities. And I just challenge all my listeners to look at different ways that they can impact uh, first the lives of their families and, and then their employees or their coworkers. Uh, there's power in that. And then beyond, you know, looking beyond themselves, and, but that's all part of leadership. And, and, yes. and it comes down to like, you know, how we, how we, uh, you know, build as leaders ourselves, but then also how we work within our teams. And I want to talk to you about teamwork. Cause I think you've got some great insight there. What are some of the lessons from basketball that my listeners can apply to cultivate genuine team cohesion? The first, it has to start with caring. I mean, you have to care. You have to truly care about other people and you have to truly care about your organization's uh, vision and mission and, and purpose. Uh, so it, it starts with the caring and the caring factor goes up if you stay in that strength zone of of doing something or having a business that aligns with what you're good at and what you're passionate about. But you have to truly want to pour into others, to empower others, uh, to give them the tools so that they can become the best versions of themselves, uh, so they can be happy you know, I mean, that's that's ultimately what leadership is. I mean, even if you you break it down to the the, the narrow focus of, say, sales, you know, the best sales professionals I've ever been around were more concerned with the person than they were with making the sale and to the tune that if their product or service was not the best fit, they would actually tell that prospect that and tell them to go somewhere else where they would find what's the best fit. You know, when you have that type of mindset and it's the same thing as a leader. Uh, when you're doing what's best for the people on your team, um, you know, regardless of what it is that would be best for you personally, now you've you've you know crossed a certain threshold as far as being a leader. And uh, I've also always believed that, uh, let's say you're the CEO of of a hundred person company, you know, that's 99 people that you serve. That's not 99 people that serve you. That needs to be the leader's mindset. I don't have a hundred people that work for me. I have a hundred people that I'm working for them. And to me, that mindset alone is, is what is a major separator uh, of leaders. And it takes, uh, it certainly takes a high level of confidence and, and courage to be able to approach it that way. Uh, but it's, it's absolutely uh, well worth it. You will, that is the first step, the caring and the, the, the attitude of service and empowering others uh, has to be the foundation of creating that team cohesion. Yeah, and, and so you've coached and motivated thousands of athletes over the years. What tips do you have for motivating others? So you talk about caring for yourself, but what about motivating others around you? Well, you know, it, it, I like the way that you just teed that up because one of the things that sounds a little counterintuitive to folks that in order to be a leader and to truly pour into others and to serve others and to raise their level, uh, you have to take care of yourself first. So the very, uh, in addition to the caring portion, for me, if I'm building a hierarchy, the very first thing I need to do to be the best leader and positively impact and influence the most people to the highest level possible is I have to continually work on myself to be the best version of myself. If I'm not the best version of myself, then there's no way that I can be the father that I'm capable of. There's no way I can be the speaker that I'm capable of or author or person in my community or business owner. So it has to start with self but you're doing it in service of others. You know, you're not doing it for selfish motives. You really want to be the best you can be so that you can model and lift others up. And that's where it has to start. And then once you've created that mindset, then you need to make sure that that's contagious with everyone else. So if, if, if we work together and my goal is to motivate you and is to inspire you and to fill your bucket, then I have to start by modeling that behavior with myself. And then I have to be able to support and encourage and help you do the same thing for yourself. Uh, you know, a sign of a great leader is someone that creates other great leaders. You know, it's, it's not just about how many people follow you or listen to you. It's about, are you able to give them the tools to replicate what you've done for yourself to empower yourself to be the best leader? So, and then to take that one step further, if that was my goal with you, then I would need to care enough to create a solid enough connection that I get to learn everything I can about you. And I'm not talking about, you know, your bio or personal stats. You know, I need to know how do you like to feel appreciated? How are you best motivated? 
You know, what, what is your personality style? What are, what is your learning style? I need to learn as much about the way to interact with you as possible because it can't be a one size fits all. And the better I get to know you, then the better I'll know how to use the tools that I've developed for myself to use them in the best way possible to be efficient and effective so that I can then uh, light your candle. There was something you said that that really struck a chord with me. I used to speak for Leadership Institute, a group out of Washington, D.C. for years on college campuses. And one of the messages that I would say is I would say, I, I and others will judge you not by what happens when you lead, but what happens when you're gone? Does the organization fall apart? Is there no leadership to continue on? Because part of you being successful is still allowing others to kind of come after you to a system that you've set up, a culture that you've set up that is, you know, based on success and inspiration and all of these things that are necessary for either an organization or a company to or a team to succeed. And so um, I love that you brought that up. Thank you. And I think all my listeners should, you know, who are, who are in a leadership position should remember that, yeah. that, that well, your success lives long after you. I, if you give it that chance, it absolutely does. And I love that you brought that up and highlighted and emphasized that because you, you nailed it brilliantly. And that takes a high level of confidence and even humility to get there because I, I do think it's rather natural. And, and, and I do believe some selfishness is inherent in all of us to think that, you know, I'm such a good leader that when I leave, this thing's going to fall apart. Because I'm, I'm so important and I'm so impactful that this will crumble when I leave. And that's an incredibly short-sighted and selfish view of leadership. What you said so perfectly is the sign of a real leader is someone that can create a culture where the machine just keeps humming whether you're there or not. And whether that means you're going to take a vacation and there's no slippage during the week that you're gone or you've taken a different job and the, the, the business continues to run smoothly and thrive in your absence because you've put the foundational pillars in place. You've created a winning culture. You've attracted and poured into people that love being there. That's the sign uh, of the most effective leaders. And it, it, I mean, that is not easy to do. It takes a lot of work to do that. And I, I've always felt, as you just alluded to, that the sign of a, a good leader or the sign of a winning culture is how everyone behaves when the quote unquote head coach is not there or when the CEO is yeah. not there. And, uh, you know, I say that when I do speak to leaders, you know, I'm like, OK, you guys are off today because you're here at this this retreat now. If any of you are worried or nervous or anxious that things back at home aren't going smoothly, that's a tell that you don't have the, the culture that you wish that you had. That's a tell that you're not the leader that you believe you should be because you should absolutely be able to come here to this seminar for one day and not be worried a bit about what's going on back at the office. And if you are, then there's still some things to, to patch up. And that usually hits them uh, like a two by four right between the eyes. Alan, the other thing you said that really struck me is, um, and this is, I'm, I'm going to confess for a second. So this is a definitely something that I regret early on in my career, but you know, let's say I'm in college, I'm, I'm running an organization. There was a time and I'm embarrassed to admit this where, you know, I would almost try to keep people down around me. Like, Hey, I'm the one in charge. Like, let me be, I'm a, you know, if so, we have somebody important here, I'm going to be the one to introduce them. I'm going to be the one to pick them up at the airport. Yep. And then I had a speaker that came in my life. I don't even remember who it was. It was, and, and, and he literally said at this event, he said, so true success is not keeping people down, it's building people up. And when they surpass you because they will in life, taking pride in the in the the part that you played in their success. And it was a liberating, oh, life-changing yeah. moment for me because I went from spending all this negative energy trying to keep people down to now just finding so much pleasure in in impacting lives and building people up. And it's it's gone with me for the rest of my life where now I can just, you know, give it all and 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 take pl pride and pleasure in that and they do surpass me i mean in so many different areas and i find so much pleasure in watching their success and so uh, you know i just again encourage all my my listeners to really find pleasure in building people up and being part of their success whether that is your family your friends your employees your coworkers you know or just total strangers well, I, uh, I, I love that that you have the humility to share that and you're right on and and to be honest i mean if if we had to uh pull back the covers and share all of the mistakes uh, that I've made and mindsets that I've had to change. I mean, you'd have to do an entire podcast <laughs> series. So uh, you're certainly not alone uh, in, in changing. Uh, and, and I do, I firmly believe that 
that mindset, because I, I had a very similar one, it's just simply tied to insecurity. And more times than not, uh, aside from any, you know, uh, fake and, and false male bravado, when we're younger, we're a little bit more insecure because we don't have the life experience. We, we haven't gotten in the reps, you know. So uh, when, when guys like you and I were younger at that time, we probably felt insecure to the point where we needed the validation of, of kind of holding others down so that we would look better by default. And as you realized, I mean, I know the speaker was the impetus to that, but then you started getting life experience and reps to realize that leadership is so much uh, bigger and broader than that. And as you get older and the more you improve your self-awareness, uh, you'll see your confidence improve and you'll get in the life experience and reps that you can handle those types of things. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing more satisfying now than giving someone else the tools uh, and giving them the, the, the spark and springboard for them to surpass what you've been doing. And that's, that's what I really do believe great leaders do, but we all have to go through that journey and it does, it, it takes confidence and humility, which are usually two things that younger people lack. You know, it, it's that whole mindset of like, how do you take your life from success to significance? Like, mm -hmm. you know, granted, and, and by the way, who even knows what real success is? Because it's not, of course, financial. We learn that right away. Yes. But but there's, you know, how do you become significant in other people's lives and in this world around you? So, you know, and, and that's all part of the individual leadership and performance. And so, you know, going back to that, you look at these professional elite athletes that you've been able to work with. Is something wired differently in them? Like, is it innate? Anytime we do the nature versus nurture, regardless of, of what industry or genre we're talking about, uh, my answer is almost always it's both. Uh, I think with every person on the planet, it may be a varying percentage of which is which. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, partially, I believe it's in our hardwiring when we're born and there's some things you're either born with or you're not born with. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with environment, especially early on, you know, who were you around and what seeds were being planted, what behaviors were being modeled for you. Uh, and then as it's older, as you get older, you know, how open are you to coaching? And when you see the elite of the elite, the, the LeBron James of the world, there it's almost the perfect storm. Like, even though he certainly had some, some very uh, tough beginnings and had, you know, lots of obstacles to overcome when you start lining up all of the nature, nurture and environment. And it's, it's the perfect storm. And uh, there's been plenty of other people uh, that may have had similar advantages or even been born with better genetics in better environments, but they simply didn't have the passion or they didn't have the grit or the work ethic. So they were missing one of the major pillars. And a guy like that simply had all of them. And, you know, because, and I, I look at my own three children, I mean, I can't do anything about the genetics that I handed off to them, but I can work really hard as their father uh, to provide a, a nourishing environment and a, an at-home culture, which hopefully will empower them to be the best that they can be. And I can do my best to insulate them with other really good quality people and subject them to new activities and turn them on to new things. So you, you can't control the nature part, you know, once once you've been born, but you have a little bit of control and influence over everything else. And that's the part that I think we should all focus on. So as far as leaders um, being born or made, I always think that it's both. You know, I'm, and I I'm, and appreciate you saying that. And I'm also glad you brought up the kids for a second. I'm not going to put this on your kids or my kids, but there are definitely listeners in my audience that have young kids that have a desire to help, you know, they want to help them reach an elite level in athlete, athletics or business. What advice do you have for parents in today's world? Like, how do you light a fire and, and, a, and a passion for excellence in young people? Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because I'm working on a side project right now, and it, it's not going to be a book uh, in the same tune as Raise Your Game. It's more of a handbook of sorts, but uh, it's still working on a few different titles for it. But it's basically a, a guidebook for youth sports parents, and it's hopefully going to be able to answer that question that you just asked. What are the best things that we can do as parents uh, to give our children an opportunity uh, for sports to have a really positive impact on their life and, and so forth? Uh, because being in the, the training industry for so long, man, I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to sport parents. And I know that every one of those folks loves their children just as much as I love mine, but I do believe that many of them are very misguided and very they're 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 encouraging and doing things that are actually contradictory to what it is that they're hoping happens. And they just don't know any better. So I'm hoping to provide a resource that will help with that. You know, the the very first thing to realize is 
it's your kid's journey. It has to be their journey. And, and as the parent, you can't live vicariously through them. You know, you're not as much as you might feel nostalgic. You're not, you can't rewind the clock and get your high school playing days over again through your children. <laughs> uh, what and, we can't, I'm, no, I'm shocked. Well, and I know, I know on a logical level, people know that, and I don't blame people listening right now to roll their eyes, but unconsciously there's some deep rooted beliefs that that's what's happening because people's behaviors are, totally. are as such. And yes. you know, it needs to be our kid's journey. Uh, we need to expose them to as many things as possible so that they can figure out, not so we can figure out, so they can figure out what it is they love and what they're passionate about. And, you know, it, it needs to be much more encouraging and supporting than it does kind of forcing and pushing and prodding and and even coaching to a degree. You know, I do know there are a small handful uh, of people that are very quality coaches that also have children that play sports. Uh, but most of the time, especially in youth sports, uh, the coach is, is simply someone kind enough to volunteer their time because they <laughs> want to provide an atmosphere for young people. And I'm so thankful that they do that. But I recognize that the, you know, the person coaching my twin son's basketball team, there's a reason he's not on an NBA bench. He's not an elite level basketball coach. He's a wonderful father who wants to dedicate some time to some kids in the neighborhood. And that's okay. And that's all part of the journey. And, and I think uh, in a nutshell, lots of times parents put the, the pressure and expectation at the youth level on the kids, on the coaches, and absolutely on the officials that they're supposed to be these world-class elite people. I mean, it, it, it shocks me when I go to a youth basketball game and people are berating the officials. And it's like, why do you think this person is doing a nine-year-old basketball game on a Saturday morning? Because they're getting they're paid not a $25. Yeah, they're not a, a professional elite level referee. And your kid is not a professional athlete. And the coach is not a professional coach. So why are you trying to match professional expectations with people that are, are just trying to enjoy the sport and, and, you know, incrementally get better at it? So, yeah, there's a whole list of things that, that I would like to see parents um, you know, uh, be better guided on. And, and I don't say any of this in judgment. I know their heart's in the right place, but they're, they're making some grave mistakes and they're, they're burning their kids out uh, physically and mentally. And they're also modeling the exact opposite behavior that I believe they really wish they were instilling. And uh, the last example I'll give on this, because trust me, I could talk for five hours sure. on this topic, sure. is you know something to the effect of, all right, uh, I have a son that's a tenth grader, and you know he's on the basketball team. He's not getting much playing time. So after the game, I kind of undermine the coach in our car ride home, and I say something to the effect of, you know, you know, your coach is such an idiot. You're such a good three point shooter, and he never puts you in the game and never uses you. Ugh. And it's like you're, you're doing so many, there's, there's so much negativity to that one, uh, regardless of whether your assessment is correct or not is absolutely irrelevant. What you're modeling for your child is one, it's okay to, uh, to skirt responsibility and blame others. Uh, it's okay to make excuses. It's okay to undermine authority. I mean, what, what is your kid going to do if you keep telling them that their coach is an idiot? They're going to stop listening or they're going to have poor body language when the coach is instructing or they're they're going to be a cancer to the team's culture. You're doing so many things backwards. And like I said, it doesn't matter if it's true. Maybe your kid is the best three point shooter and should be playing more. It doesn't matter. You're teaching or they're going to take that for the rest of others. Yeah. Or they're going to take that for the rest of their life and say, or the teacher doesn't like me now, or the yes. boss doesn't like me now, or the coworker doesn't like me now. So you're, oh, I which love is that. skirting responsibility. Yes. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, life is not fair and desiring it or expecting it to be fair is, is a mindset of the week. It's not fair. And I, I tell my kids all the time, like, if you want to look on the scale of fairness, you guys have already hit the jackpot. You're healthy. You have physical and mental health. You have parents that love you and can provide you with home and shelter. Like you have all of your limbs. You have all of your senses. So if you want to talk about fairness, you've already hit the jackpot. Now, if you want to bellyache and cry because your coach doesn't play you as much as you think you should play, that's fine. I've got a solution for you. Go in and sit down with the coach and say, coach, what do I need to do to earn more time uh, in games, what do I need to do to prove to you that, that I'll be a, an asset when you put me in the game? And then whatever that coach tells you, whether you agree with it or not, then you put in relentless work during the unseen hours to make those improvements. 
And if you do those things now, now you're, you're on your way. This is not about blaming other people and, and pointing fingers and making excuses and because you're 100% right. And that's why the parents that allow that or model that or teach that in their kids are the ones that grow up and think their boss is an idiot. And then they get a new job. And guess what? Well, that boss is an idiot, too. And now they're on their third job and they can't believe the coincidence that three bosses in a row are all idiots. It's like, well, what's the common denominator here? It's you. Everywhere you go, that person is an idiot because that's what was taught to you when you were young. And, and I just don't want that with my kids. Uh, right. I tell them, hey, if, if you don't think you're being treated fairly, focus on what you can control, which is your own attitude and your own effort, and you make the absolute best of the situation. And that's it. I'll never bail my kids out of something like that. So first of all, I'll make sure you let me know when this comes out because I want to promote that on my podcast and yes, on my, on my website because uh, I think I'm on a mission to help kids uh, and, and parents and coaches. And a matter of fact, um, in episode 42, if my listeners remember, uh, I talked to Holly McPeak, uh, you know, professional beach volleyball player, Olympic athlete, and we actually came up with a free uh, seven-day guide to better sports parenting. And on each night, oh. you can ask specific questions like, you know, is this a sport you want to play? What words can I say on the side of the court will, that will encourage you? That will that will make make you know that I love you and support you and and so we oh, it's a really that. it was a really fun project I really enjoyed doing it um, so I I encourage all my listeners to make sure that they're paying attention to this part when they're dealing with their kids well, on the side they're, 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 by the way when a kid messes up or does something good who's the first person they list look to. Yeah, it's straight to the stands. It's like a, yes. a beeline to the to the parents to see like, are they happy? Are they sad? Yes. Are they upset? Like, what's going on? And and that's just so important. And that, but that's again goes back to you know all being part of, of of leadership and everything that we that we do. And so, you know, I think this comes down from an individual level. How much of success of the success of an elite athlete is mental? I mean, because because I would say tennis, you have you have top fifty. They're probably all similar in in athletic ability. Yes. But talk to me about the importance of the mental side of it all. Well, it's absolutely the big separator. Now, when we talk about sport and physicality, um, the the athleticism does play a role. So I would I would say that one of the biggest differences between say Roger Federer and the average person that just plays tennis a few times a year at the local YMCA there's more than likely a huge difference in coordination, athleticism, depth perception, proprioception. So in order to get into that elite top 50, uh, the athleticism in the body does matter. Uh, now in varying degrees, I, I know we had, before we hit record, we we're talking about uh, both of our love for Steve Nash. And that when you look at a guy like that, you never see a two-time MVP uh, in the NBA. So there's our exceptions to that. But in order to get into that top 50 or top 100, I do think the physical component is incredibly important. But to separate yourself once everything else is equal, once the athleticism and the body stuff is all relatively equal, now the mindset and, and the mental toughness is absolutely everything. And the, the, so much to the tune that you can actually overcome a decent amount of maybe lack of physicality or lack of athleticism if you have uh, the right mental approach. And uh, those are skills that can and should be worked on. You know, I mean, I don't want to keep reverting back to the, the youth stuff, but you know, when you talk to youth coaches and I'll just use basketball since that's where, you know, I spent most of my time, you know, you ask a basketball coach, what percentage of the game is mental? And they usually give you an incredibly lopsided uh, percentage, you know, 75, 80%, 90% is mental. And then you say, okay, well, what do you do to train the mental part? And they just stare at you dumbfounded. They don't even know <laughs> what to say. So wow. you're saying that 80% of the game is mental and yet you only practice the 20%, which is the physical part. There's, there's a major problem there. And uh, I really believe that, that coaches should be uh, teaching and equipping our young people with the mental skills to be able to perform at a high level uh, because those things have such high utility. It, it doesn't matter. Once you stop playing that sport, you can still use those qualities in every other area of your life. Uh, in leadership, in business, in, in your, you know, uh, in any other activity that you'd want to do in parenting, those things still come up. So I would love to see more of an emphasis on teaching those mental skills. Uh, but then that opens up a whole other can of worms, which is, as I said earlier, more times than not, the youth sports coach is just a mother or father who was kind enough to devote their time. They don't have the background to teach these mental skills, nor do they even know how to if they did. So that's where we're, we're in limbo. You know, we, we don't necessarily have 
um, the number or range of qualified people to be teaching those, which uh, makes it even more important for guys like you and I to provide these resources that can mentor folks from afar. Just like we started our conversation saying, you know, we should be able to provide a podcast like this and, and guidebooks like I'm working on uh, to give this type of information out uh, because we need it. Well, so first of all, that was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely love that whole point there. I mean, you, you know, you get somebody says 80% and then stares at you in the face like we're not doing anything about it. So I think that they're, you know, again, for my listeners, you know, it comes down to, and, and I'm going to steal from your book, Alan. Please. But, you know, when you talk about a player, you talk about like self-awareness, passion, discipline, coachability, confidence, you know, all these different chapters that you write about, um, you get there by learning more. And it goes back to a whole business standpoint. Um there's that saying, and I know it's a cliche, but like, you know, this CFO and CEO are talking and they say, hey, what if we invest all these money in the people and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't? And they stay. Yes. Oh, and, I and love so that. The, I don't know who so said the, that originally, but that is yeah, brilliant. But, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites just because you have to invest in all aspects of the people around you, and that includes your own family. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, even after that, I mean, you know, we still have issues and I know there's, there's challenges in life. One of the, the questions that I've been, I've been really excited to ask you about is I see this on the volleyball court all the time, uh, you know, with different players when my daughter's playing, um, pressure's there and, and, mm-hmm. and people deal with pressure in different ways. Um, some people fall apart. Some people, it, 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 it riles them up or gets them more excited. Uh, you know, how do you deal with pressure like that? How do you mentally take that out of the equation so you can get it out of your head and just be able to play the way you, you need to play? Um, how do you advocate dealing with pressure? There's two ways. One, uh, I believe there's a direct relationship between pressure felt and preparation, uh, that the more detailed and intentional and purposeful your preparation, uh, the less likely you are to get paralyzed by pressure. I mean, no one's immune to pressure. Uh, part of it also is just your approach to it. You know, what some people call pressure, a guy like Kobe Bryant, Bryant would call excitement, you know? Um, and the other thing, which is, which is absolutely the key. And, and this is, uh, and I don't even mean to sound over dramatic. This is the key to everything we're searching for in life. It's the ability to be in the present moment that you do not feel pressure when you're completely in the present moment. You feel pressure when you get distracted by the past, you know, Oh, I missed that last point. I didn't get that last dig or I screwed up that last set. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking backwards, you know, what happened 30 seconds ago and that heightens pressure, or I feel anxious about the future. Oh gosh, if I don't get this next one, they're going to be up you know, whatever, or they're going to win. And you start worrying about the future when you, when your mind and, and heart and soul are occupied by the past or the future, and you're not in the present moment, that's when you feel pressure. That's when you feel anxiety, when you're just in the present moment and you just have that flow and you can focus completely on the task at hand and the very next play. And you've prepared yourself adequately where, you know, you deserve an opportunity to be successful. Uh, I won't say pressure will evaporate, but it's eroded very heavily. Yeah. Awesome. Again, I mean, just, and I, and I hope that, gosh, I hope my daughter listens to this, this podcast specifically. And I hope, I hope all of her friends do too, because you know, the reality is uh, we have this opportunity to be in the moment. It was, I forget which tennis player it was a female tennis player. I'd brought this up uh, episodes ago, but she said she plays every point like, like championship point. She literally yeah. says, Oh my gosh, this is so important. I have to win this one point. Nothing happens, you know, matters in the past, in the future, just this point. And then the next point she goes, Oh my gosh, I have to win this point. Yes. And she goes, by doing that, she's allowing herself just to play like it matters because it does every single point at that level. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I love the being in the moment part. That's and, and, that's by, actually, and by the way, great for me personally from a business side. So oh, very oh, excited to hear that. So I appreciate is, that. And as heavily as I skew towards the importance of living in the present moment, I say with full humility, it's the biggest challenge I face every day. I know I'm delivering all of this in a very a matter of fact tone, but none of this is easy. There is nothing easy about not getting distracted by the point you just missed and not getting worried about the one you might not get. I mean, that to be able to have that focus, and that's really how I define mental toughness. Mental toughness is the ability to hone in and stay fully focused on the next important thing. That's all that matters is the next important thing. Uh, there's an acronym. Uh, I've had several people tell it to me, so I don't know who to give, it credit, to, give credit to, but it's WIN, W-I-N. What's important now? That's all that matters. And as that tennis player said uh, in, the, in the, the minute picture, the only thing that's important now is this next point. 
The one that just happened, whether I got it or I didn't, doesn't matter. The one that may happen 10 minutes from now isn't important. You know, what I'm going to have for dinner is not important. The fact that I, you know, uh, I had a flat tire yesterday is not important. None of that stuff is important. All that's important is what's happening now. And your ability in, in all of life's challenges and adversities and with all of the distractions we face on a minute by minute basis, the ability to focus on the next important thing, whatever that may be is one of the most important skill sets that any of us can develop. And it serves us in every area of our life, parenting, business, sport, you name it, the ability to block out everything and focus on what's important uh, is mental toughness. And it's a really hard skill, but it is a skill. And the only way we get better at any skill is through purposeful practice. And thankfully there is no shortage of opportunities to practice being in the present moment because moments are fleeting and we get a whole bunch of them every single day. And that's, what's funny about moments, you know, here, here comes one, here comes one. All right, now it's gone. Now I have another moment to practice. So uh, there's no need to, to get swallowed up in the past or future. There's plenty for us right here in the present. What you just said was, um, at, you should listen uh, in garage uh, to Goliath episode 48. I interviewed Jeff Woods from uh, Keller Williams. Uh -huh. um, the Just do the one thing from the one thing book. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about, which is just beautiful. And, and, uh, you know, if you can choose what's important right now, focus on it, get it done, move on to the next thing. And, and it doesn't mean you can't have a couple things that you're, that are important to you or working on, but, but in general, if you can choose that one thing, it allows you to actually focus on it and, 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 and have good results from yeah. it. And, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in learning from the past and preparing for the future. So I'm not talking about walking through the world with blinders on and, and, you know, once something's in your rear view mirror, it's as if it didn't happen and that you shouldn't be at least remotely prepared for what may happen tomorrow. It's just about not living in either one of those spaces that being yeah. in that, that present moment, because that's where all the gold is. That's where your highest performance is. That's where your highest happiness is. That's where your lowest stress is. Uh, that's what's important now. And, you know, circling back, I, I told you at the beginning that one of the foundational principles of high performers and high achievers is to never get bored with the basics. And that's where I want to tie this together. Just because something is basic doesn't mean that it's easy. Those are not synonyms. And yet a lot of people use those two words interchangeably. Uh, the concept of living in the present moment is very basic. Uh, my nine-year-old twin sons and my seven-year-old daughter completely understand the concept. It means be where your feet are. You know, wherever your feet are, make sure your head and your heart are there as well. They understand that, but it doesn't mean that that's easy. And here, you know, uh, I've been really focused on living present for the last decade of my life, and I still run into daily challenges. You know, there are still days when I put my head on my pillow and I go, man, I wasn't near as focused as, or as present today as I was capable of. But instead of wallowing in it and doing nothing about it, I just kind of laugh it off and I go to bed and the next day I aim to be more present than I was the day before. So that's what I mean. It's you always have an opportunity to start over. So even if you spend an entire day wallowing in the past and depressed and disappointed, you can choose in a moment's notice to get back to the present moment. So there's no shortage of opportunities for that. And that's where all of the gold is. But I just want to make sure that your listeners know there is nothing easy about that. Uh, even a, an 80-year-old Tibetan monk has not been present for every moment of their entire life. Now, they've been present for more moments, more consistently than I have, but they haven't been perfect. <laughs> and we should never be stifled by perfection. All of us should be striving for progress. And, and I can say with full confidence and a huge smile on my face, I am more present today than I was a year ago. And if you and I reunite one year from now, I'm confident I'll be even more present then because it's something I'm aware of, I'm conscious of, and I'm doing the internal work to improve on a daily basis. And the trajectory at which we're going is far more important than wherever we are. So anyone looking right now in the mirror or looking at your life and you don't like portions of your life, give yourself some grace and compassion and set up the, the environment and the behaviors and the habits and the systems you need to get that slope moving up so that you know you're moving in the right direction. And don't worry about where you are. Focus more on your trajectory. So this is such great advice. And, and, and I'd like to double down on the basics. As a matter of fact, so, you know, let's say we talk about gratitude or empathy. 
it's interesting because people say, hey, well, that seems like it's a no-brainer. Like we, yet they're not showing enough gratitude. They don't let the people know that how you know much they mean to them in their life. Or they don't show the empathy that is necessary when somebody's hurting or somebody's struggling or somebody needs a, a voice of reason in their life. So you know, it, it, is, it is important to double down on those basics and make sure we're doing the, the foundational things that, uh, that make a difference. You know, I, if you don't mind me switching gears here for a second, some fun questions. Please. What, what, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I always love this question because uh, the humor in it to me is when I look back, I can say with full humility that the 20 year old Alan wouldn't listen, that the 20 year old (laughs) Alan thought he had all the answers. And um, one of the things I'm most proud of when I look uh, at the internal work I've done and the growth I've had, uh, I would like to believe I'm much more open and coachable today than I was in my 20s. I had a very limited view of the world, and most of that was masked behind severe insecurity and severe lack of confidence uh, that I thought that I had all the answers and I knew it. And now, you know, 23 years later at 43, uh, I I realized not only how much I didn't know when I was 20, uh, but how much more I still need to know at 43. Uh, However, if I could have penetrated that thick skull and gotten something (laughs) into that 20 year old, uh, it would be along the lines of what we've just been talking about. It would be take a breath and just focus on being present. Don't worry about what happened or what may happen. Focus on being in the present moment. You know, I've, uh, I started diving into the play present mindset about a decade ago, but really have honed in on it over the last three or four years. And the progress I've made in three or four years has been astounding to my perspective, to my mood, to my performance, to my relationships. So while I don't live with regret, because that would be the opposite of living present, if I would have started adopting that mindset at 20, who knows where my life would be right now. So Alan, I got to tell you, so early on, I'm, you know, picture me, I'm a young, young guy and I'm, I'm at a Republican National Convention in Houston, Texas, and I'm on the floor and it was so exciting to, you know, regardless of your party, it was exciting to be in that environment, yeah. whether you're Republican or Democrat. And, and here's Alan Simpson, this, this older, you know, great senator. And I went over to shake his hand. And I started talking to him. And at one point, I guess I glanced beyond him and he goes, what's your name? And I said, Dan, and he goes, Dan, be in the moment. Mm. He said, focus on this conversation. He said, just be in the moment. And he said, you know why I do what I do? Why, why I'm talking just to you and my eyes are glued just on you? Because he goes, all around me, there are people looking for me to look, look to them. Mm. They want the next question. They want something. But by being in the moment, I can actually listen to you and learn from you and hear, find out who you are. But I also don't glance to the side and somebody thinks I, I just you know, went by them or didn't pay them attention because I, I didn't have time to do that. It was such an important mm. moment in my life because it just, I mean, it shocked me. I, I was like, sure. I, I almost, I, you know, I, I saw him years later and I actually reminded him of that conversation and thanked him for that because it was really life changing. It allowed me to be in the moment and not to be looking beyond somebody for what's next, but to actually be able to learn, listen, and, 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 and you know, hopefully uh, be better for it. Well, so, you know, I tell um, you what, that's, that's so powerful. I mean, I got goosebumps while you're, you're telling that. And I mean, ultimately, and I've always believed this, our attention in the present moment is the number one gift we have to give another human being uh, because, you know, we don't know when our time is going to run out. So our time is our most valuable resource without question. And if we whittle that down even further, that means if time is our most valuable resource, our attention in the present moment is the number one gift we have to give another human being. And that is the essence of Mm -hmm. leadership. That's the essence of connection, because ultimately what you're doing is you're sending the unconscious message that I care about you, that I value what you have to say, that my time with you right now is important. And, and that's the message that he sent to you while you were standing there talking. Uh, conversely, and trust me, I've done it many a times, you were sending the opposite message. You're looking over his shoulder to see who else should I be meeting, which in essence says, this time is not important. I don't value you. I'm looking for the next person. And it's amazing how just that, that awareness now that you have, and I'm sure it's been a seismic shift and your ability to connect with others is all we have is what's right in front of us. And, and if you're going to be in line shaking hands, shake each one and be fully present while you're shaking that one. Don't worry about the next one until it arrives. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that story. That's powerful. So real quick, what's your dream job? I'm living it right now. You know, oh, if, that's great. if it changes in the next few years, then I'll change along with it. Uh, but I, I absolutely love what I do now. I, I enjoy serving others and I enjoy sharing you know, what I've picked up along the way. Uh, I also enjoy the pursuit 
of attempting to master the speaking craft. And I say that with a slight smile because I don't, I don't think you can ever master the speaking craft. No matter how good you are, you can always get a half a percent better. But I'm enjoying the pursuit of becoming a better professional speaker uh, and writer than I have been in the past. So I absolutely love what I'm doing. Uh, but you know, if you would have asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have given you the same answer. I just said, man, being a basketball performance coach is my dream job. I'm loving this. And then once I realized that that my desire and passion for that was starting to wane and my desire for going into the public speaking route uh, was starting to increase, then I made that shift. So uh, I hope that no matter when someone asks me that question for the next 40 or 50 years, uh, I'm able to answer what I'm doing now. And I will say that's that's my ultimate hope and probably every ultimate hope for a parent is to let your kids then find their dream job, find their passion, find what they're interested in, and then uh, and then do well. And it makes for a great life, doesn't it? it absolutely so, does. all right, let's let's get into raise your game um, and kind of end with that, because can you talk more about this latest venture? First of all, love the book. Thank you. I mean, love the whole structure of it, seriously, because I mean, the whole triangle of like player, coach, team, make, working into employee um, you know, boss slash, you know, company and, and how important each part of that triangle is. Um, then now you're shifting into business consulting, keynote speaking and authoring books. Like how can my listeners learn from what you're, you're, you're talking about? How can they be better with raise your game? Well, my goal for the book, uh, First, as I mentioned, I've been such a voracious reader, and there have been so many books that have had such a profound impact on my life that I have a, a deep respect for books and for authors. So my number one goal for even writing the book was just to simply kind of pay that forward and say, man, if something along the journey that I've had, I can put into writing and it can have a positive impact on someone else that's got to be a really cool and fulfilling feeling. So I, I wanted to write a book. It was almost a passion project and a professional bucket list item. Uh, I also wanted to do it because it gave me incredibly heightened clarity on my message. You know, uh, I'll, I'll full transparency. You know, when I first started speaking, I had a lot of good stories and stats and lessons, but it was just kind of this almost random collage thrown up against the wall. There wasn't uh, an order or a, a sequencing to it. It wasn't as organized. And the book really forced me uh, to do that. And the other reason is, is I realized that a lot of people don't get, they, they don't have the same passion for sport that I've had, or maybe they didn't play sports uh, or, or, or so forth. I wanted to be able to, to pull on the, the most important principles and strategies with the highest utility and provide something that could add value to someone that doesn't like basketball as much as I do. Uh, now, clearly, if you do like sports and you like basketball, Raise Your Game is probably an easier read for you than someone that doesn't. Uh, but the best compliments I've gotten, and I've gotten a handful of them, are from people that say, I don't like sports. I didn't play sports. I don't watch sports, but man, did I really enjoy your book that even though I don't know, you know, LeBron James from Rick James, I was able to pull a lesson out of that book that, that you shared and apply that to my parenting or apply that to my business. Uh, so that's something that, that I feel really, really good about that, you know, we should all be able to learn from others. You know, I don't have a musical bone in my body. But I promise you that if I studied world-class musicians or I studied entertainers like Justin Timberlake and Beyonce, I guarantee you that I would be able to draw on lessons and principles that they live by to help me in my life. And that's really what I wanted Raise Your Game to be. Uh, it's through the, the lens of someone that spent his life in sports, but hopefully sharing lessons that have high utility that it didn't matter if you didn't. Yeah. And, and in the book, and I just want to at least give one example, you talk about self-awareness as everything else in this book is built from this. That's yes. what you say. Um, can you just briefly talk about self-awareness for a second, how important that is? I mean, that is the foundation uh, that if you don't know who you are or, or, or you know, have the, the self-discipline and self-acceptance and, and know the ins and outs of who you are, you'll never be able to maximize what you're capable of. Uh, and it's kind of a cliff notes version, uh, self-awareness, uh, there's a few levels of it. One, you certainly have to know what you're good at, what you enjoy, what you love doing, what you're passionate about, but you also have to have the courage to look on the other side and be able to admit, as you and I have done during this conversation, what things are we not good at? Where are our insecurities? What are our pitfalls? What are our blind spots? And, and know both of those. Uh, once you've done that, then you can level up and you can say, okay, uh, you know, when I look at myself and I, I know all of these different things, how closely is my self-evaluation to the evaluation of the way the world sees me? Uh, those things need to be in alignment. And it's not about pandering or, 
or looking for someone's affection or approval, but you need to make sure that the way you see yourself is the way the rest of the world sees you. A quick example would be, you know, if I asked you if you're a good listener and you said yes, but I asked the five people that knew you the best and they all said no, you're probably not a good listener. You might think that you are, but clearly the world thinks otherwise. Uh, Funny enough, if I were to ask you if you were a good listener and you said, no, I'm not, and then I asked the five people closest to you and they all said, yeah, he's not, funny enough, you'd actually have higher self-awareness. You'd have higher accuracy because you'd know that you're not very good at listening and the world agrees with you. So we want to make sure- I didn't hear anything you just said. I bet you did. I'm just kidding. I would want to make sure there's some uh, alignment between those two things. And then the last level of self-awareness is being able to understand and process and regulate your own emotions and feelings so that then you can do that within the context of every situation with others. So most people can say, I'm mad right now. Yeah, okay, you, you understand that you're mad, but can you dig a little deeper? Can you figure out why you're mad? You know, uh, the, the easy knee-jerk response is, well, I'm in traffic and somebody cut me off. Well, this probably goes deeper than that. There's something deeper in there that's causing this anger and this, this frustration, and the easy scapegoat is the person that cut you off. Uh, because if you're around somebody that is truly aware, truly happy and fulfilled and life is great, you think they give you know uh, the least bit of worry when someone cuts them off? They don't care. They just laugh and keep on going about their day. So there's something rooted deeper in there. Uh, and then the last level of that portion of self-awareness is being able to say, okay, I'm going to be a spectator to my own emotions. I understand right now that I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Here's why I'm angry. Here's the things that are causing it. But now how can I use this anger or display this anger in a way that's not going to be destructive, that's not going to hurt anyone, that's not going to set me back? Like there's nothing wrong with being angry. There's a reason that's on our emotional palate. You know, it's, it's a very valid emotion to have. But how you choose to, to showcase or utilize that anger uh, was going to determine, you know, how influential, how impactful, how successful, how significant you are. So when you can get to a point where you can be a spectator of your own emotions, almost as if you were watching yourself in a movie, somebody's playing you and you're the director going, yeah, Alan's really angry right now. All right. What should he do to get the outcome he wants? Okay. That's not what he should do. Cut. Let's take that again. And now, Alan, try it this way. When we can get to that level, uh, then you're highly, highly self-aware. And as someone that is more self-aware now and is continuing to sharpen that skill, life tends to slow down and become so much more fulfilling when you increase that aspect of self-awareness. So first of all, selfishly, so glad I asked that question because loved all your answers and so many great personal takeaways for me personally, but then also uh, for my listeners. So um, amazing. So, Alan, we could spend all day long. I'm sure no, we could. I could. I'm I could. I could at least listening to you because I, I'm enjoying every part of this. But I just, I just really thank you for being on the show. Uh, I know my listeners will find these insights and stories valuable. I mean, first of all, in their pursuit of leadership excellence themselves, but also as they influ- influence and affect other lives and take their themselves from success to significance. Um, we're privileged to hear from someone who has succeeded at an elite level in both athletics and business. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Where can people learn more about you and the resources you offer? Well, first and foremost, thank you for, for allowing me an opportunity to share with your following and, and to, to piggyback on all the other folks you've had on the show and all of the great stuff that you share, uh, not only in your podcast, but in your talks and so forth. So uh, I love talking about this stuff. So it was you don't have to twist my arm very hard to, <laughs> to share these things. Um, if anyone's interested in the book, uh, they can go to Raise Your Game Book. Dot com. Uh, there's more information. There's some free goodies on there. Uh, if someone feels inclined to order a team set, you know, I, I can pre-sign them and I can get them a, a 42% discount off the cover price. If you want to outfit your entire organization and invest in them, plus there's links to just buy an individual copy. Uh, and if anyone's interested in the other stuff I have going on, the speaking or the workshops and trainings, they can go to allensteinjr.com. And I'm at Allenstein Jr. Uh, on all the major social platforms. And I love engaging with folks. So if you listen to this uh, and you you want to you wanna rap about something or ask a question, please, by all means, drop me an email or hit me up on social. And I would love to keep the dialogue going. Well, we'll be sure to share all of that information in the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 051. That's quigglegroup.com forward slash 051. Thank you again for your time, Alan, and for being such a great guest. It is appreciated. Thank you. 
Hey, Garage to Goliath listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please do your part and help us promote the show by rating, reviewing, sharing, and subscribing on iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Your feedback not only helps us improve, it also helps others find the show. And please share this podcast with friends. As a personal favor to me today, will you text one other leader in your life this link, quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes, and tell them you listen to this leadership podcast and you think they might enjoy it too. Thank you, and thanks again for listening.